Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's or this month's episode of Topical Brainstorm. I am Garrett Fox. I'm here with Christian. How's it going? Going good. Good. Uh, if it sounds like we're a little tired, it's because we are. It's really early in the morning. Well, that's your fault, Garrett. That is definitely my fault. The only other time you want to record is at 4 a.m., so, well, okay. 11 p.m., but <laughs> it's the same thing. I want to, I want to be asleep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's my fault. <laughs> so, uh, I started a book recently, so that's helped me with my goal of reading more. So, that's nice. been good. Yeah. It's been nice. Uh, uh, what book? An Ember in the Ashes. It's like a dystopian type novel. Nice. Pretty good. Bought it a year ago, never opened it, so. Why did you buy it? It was on like their recommended shelf. Oh, okay. And last time I bought a book from there, it was way good. Uh, so, and I like this one. It It's pretty good. I just never opened it until Sunday. Yeah. Or not Sunday, Saturday. Hmm. Well, I, I don't I don't know if I ever remember you reading like a fictional a fiction book. And since I've known you. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I really do enjoy the fiction a lot, but I also read it. Uh, not a lot, but many self-help books. Self, self-help books. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, I like both of them. Uh, the fiction ones, I think, draw me in f- more. But the yeah. self-help ones are like actually applicable. Yeah. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I know we've we've discussed like fictional series that we read growing up for, but I just I I don't think you've read one in a long time that I've known of. <clears throat> I think the last one I read was Aragon, probably, and that was like two or three years ago. Oh man, I love those books. Uh, they're good until <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, the end. Is sad, <laughs> very unsatisfying. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a better way of saying it. Unsatisfying. <clears throat> yeah, but they're way good books. Yeah, for sure. All right, how's your other goal going? Of uh, just budgeting or not spending so much on food or something like that. That one's going well. I've been making sandwiches for work. Uh, Wow. I know. I know. That's big. Unfortunately, now I spend money on travel a lot. <laughs> oh, and gas is so expensive. It's so expensive, man. <laughs> be, uh, but uh, Kate, uh, Michaela lives in Salt Lake now, and I'm going to go see her. So, Yeah, for sure. It's not one I'm going to skimp out on. Yeah, but how are your goals going? Um, 
I need a reminder of what my goals are. I, I worked out yesterday. Um, nice. For the first time since I moved. So <laughs> there you go. At least something. I've got a I've got a gym membership again. So Oh well, which um, gym? Um Vasa. Oh. Fitness, which is nothing like Planet Fitness. Yeah. Because um, that's where I've been, and that's where that's where you go, right? Up in Logan. Yeah. Planet Fitness is great, and I think it's like it's got a great vibe for people who aren't like super dedicated, but who are just like trying to be healthier, you know. But Vasa Fitness yesterday was just full of dudes who were just like wearing tank tops and jacked, and it was like I felt like I was back in high school, surrounded by tons of people who were just like obviously stronger than me in the gym, and it was <laughs> it was kind of intimidating. I mean, it was. I'm sure I'll get used to it. It was just like. The only gym I've gone to in years is not maybe years because I used to go up on campus, but Planet Fitness. And it was just a very different uh, experience yesterday. Yeah. My dad says to be careful if you go to Vasa because apparently a lot of stuff gets stolen there. Oh, really? Like out of lockers and out of cars. So just be careful. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, he's always listening to the police scanner. <laughs> and <laughs> apparently there's a lot of calls for that from Vasa. Huh. So, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is a big parking lot, so. Yeah. All right. Well, then, let's jump into today's chapter. Today's chapter is called... Is she the one? I really enjoyed it. What did you think about it? Yeah, uh, I read it quite a while ago, but I thought it was a good chapter. It laid out some really good points and good things to think about if you're if you're at this stage and and we've there was a chapter earlier in this book that was something like is she relationship material or something like that. Um, but this one is more pondering the question. Oh, is she more than a hookup? Was the was the uh, was the previous chapter? But this one, we're now in the final part of the book, which is titled "Loving a Woman for a Lifetime." So this is much more about considering the question: Should I marry her? Right? Like, is this for real? Is this forever? Um. And it touched on a few of the same points from the previous chapter that was similar. But, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the one thing that it talks about right off the bat is that some people just kind of know when they're with the person that they want to be with. They just kind of know that that's the person. Uh, and then it they also talk about how sometimes – it takes a while to know. So my question for you, Christian, is when did you know Kylie was was right for you? Um, yeah, I mean it wasn't it wasn't instantaneous. It didn't happen super quickly. Um, I mean you know the whole story, Garrett, but um I knew Kylie for months before I ever really thought about potentially dating her. 
And uh, I mean, there were other distractions and, and things going on, but yeah, it took a while, but we, we started kind of dating and I was still, you know, somewhat unsure. I think she knew before I did and she would definitely agree with me there, but But I do remember like a specific moment when I had the realization that she was extremely good for me and that I could see myself spending, you know, my whole life with her. And it was a really strong impression when that did happen. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't super quick, but there was definitely a moment when it happened and uh, and it was a strong feeling. Nice. I just I remember when when you two got engaged or were talking about getting engaged and you you went home for Christmas or something and brought Kylie with you. And then when you got back I was like, So when are you gonna marry her? And you looked at me and you're like, Who told you? <laughs> Do you remember that? And I was um. like no. I was like, dude, I, I was just kidding around, but good for you, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, it was I don't remember that conversation, but. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'll let you remember it that way. It's fine by me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it did happen quick once, once, uh, once I had that feeling because that happened – I mean, for me, what I was talking about earlier happened like kind of on my birthday in November, the end of November. And then we were engaged, you know, a month and a half later. So it went quick. One thing he talks about in the book are the three stages of love. And the first one he calls limerence, I think. And that stage is much more to do with lust he says and physical attraction and just chemicals in your body going crazy which is a very fun stage right but that's not the stage you should be in when you make uh such a serious decision stage two is about building trust so that's what women are really looking for in a relationship they always want trust and stage two is a lot to do with will they be there for me and there's kind of this subconscious question going on in the back of your mind about will this person be a good person to have children with, which is interesting. But then stage three is about building loyalty, and that's the stage that lasts for much, much longer. Um, and it's kind of after you've chosen commitment, it says. Anyway, so all three are very important stages. But uh, the biggest advice is to not make a decision as big as marriage while you're still in stage one. Yeah. Because you're blind to a lot of things in that stage, it says. Yeah. A lot of times you miss a lot of red flags. And then in stage two, you you start to see these red flags. And a lot of times in stage two, some things that you found attractive in stage one may start to worry you like you may like you may have liked how committed she was to to doing certain things with her friends on a certain day of the week 
because that showed loyalty. Uh, but then you, in stage two, you might start to think like, well, what happens if something happens on that day where I need her? Do I get her or do her friends get her? Uh, which may be a concern. Uh, so, yeah, and then there's obviously other red flags that you may have been, like, really, really red flags that you may have just overlooked that will start to come to light in Stage 2. But something I found really interesting about this chapter uh, was that they mentioned that you can't make it work with just anyone, which I've always thought that you kind of could. But what they said made a lot of sense. If you tear each other down or if if she tears you down, you're not right for each other. You can't make it work and you can't be in, in a really happy relationship. You can be in a relationship, just won't be happy and all it's cracked up to be. Um, and same goes, obviously, if if you as the man are tearing her down, it won't. It won't go the distance either. It won't be happy. Which I feel like a lot of times people get in these relationships and they enter that stage one and then they try so hard to make it work even though they know it's it's not right because because of how you feel around that person, you know? You just don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that part? Yeah. That reminds me of, of like all the couples out there that have like a kid together, but just don't like each other very much, you know, <laughs> like they obviously gave in to stage one and were not very careful. And at the time they probably thought, you know, it was true love and they were going to live together forever and, and always be in love. Cause that's how it feels in stage one, you know? Yeah. But that's another example of uh, of a huge decision or just lack of foresight, and then you, you're just miserable. Yeah, I mean, that unfortunately happens a lot, you know. Yeah. A month or so ago in, in my apartment complex, I was just taking my dog for a walk, and there was, like, this domestic dispute going on. There's this couple who were, like, screaming at each other through a car window wow it was ugly but at the end the guy like it was something about i like i like kind of stood around to like watch and make sure that nothing happened you know because it was just this guy like standing at the passenger door of a wind of a car like leaning in yelling at his his um girlfriend or baby mama whoever it was i don't know but it was just like pretty ugly and then at the end he like opened the back door and like pulled a little baby out of the car and walked away with with like and i had no idea there was a little kid in the back of the car you know overhearing her his parents like scream at each other yeah it was just ugly it was uh Anyway, I'm thankful that I uh, didn't have to deal with that and that I didn't have a child out of wedlock. But <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think 
I think stage one of, you know, of, of love or limerence, which is stage one is, I think it's super dangerous, you know, because you're, you're blind to all of those things. And like what you said, like, it's not going to work if you're constantly tearing each other down. It's like, that's not what happens in stage one anyway. So, um, like there's no way, usually probably not a real good way to see that coming. If you make these huge commitments early on in relationships like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I'm going to read a paragraph out of the book. Uh, and then we can discuss <laughs> one of the myths. <laughs> one of the myths to dispel is the belief that you will feel completely ca- compatible and alike in every area. You'll you'll have the same hobbies, the same likes and dislikes, the same politics. Our research research has shown that compatibility of similar interests are mostly irrelevant. What's more, what's more important is what it's like to be together. What is it like to be together? You may both claim to love to kayak but if you're arguing going down a river then it doesn't matter that kayaking is a common interest so i really like that because a lot of people look for someone that's exactly the same as them mm-hmm. i think that's kind of boring and um but a lot of people th- feel like it's really important but I really liked how they put it. It doesn't matter if you have the same hobbies if you just argue the whole time. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think that was something that I cared about too much as far as having similar hobbies. And I, I think it would be nice at times. I mean, me and Kylie have plenty in common. You know, we both love music and games and and once in a while i can get her to do a puzzle and she's happy about it but puzzling yeah i love puzzles <laughs> we're doing one right now actually we showed them the other day it's it's literally of just the earth and it's round uh-uh. that's cool and it's uh it's difficult but <laughs> yeah anyway it's fun uh, I think there are times when it's easy to think like, oh, I just wish that you would want to do this thing that I want to do at the exact time I want to do it, you know? Yeah. But I think differences are very important because I, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think things would get boring if if she was just like me because I don't really like to get out of my comfort zone. There are like certain things I like doing and if no one tells me otherwise, I stick with those things. So I'm glad that Kylie does tell me otherwise and makes me try new things and has new ideas. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think a good amount of, of, um, I don't know what the word is, uniqueness or difference between the two of you is, is really important, especially just to keep things fun and, and uh, not boring all the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, you don't have to be completely compatible. Apparently, there are a few things that are very important to be compatible on. One that they mention is if one of you wants kids and the other doesn't, it's really hard to make that work. 
They also say it's really hard to make something work if if you experience and deal with emotions and feelings differently than each other, which I found interesting. I, I, I think what they said is true, but I think that you still can make it work. They, but they, they explained it in a way where if, if one person deals with anger, for example, and they just get really mad and really upset and the other doesn't deal with anger that way to the person that doesn't deal with it that way, it just comes off as too intense. I don't know, too real, I guess, <laughs> or something. And sometimes it's it's really hard to make relationships work because of that. One person always comes off as really intense, and the other one may come, come off as like, I can't remember the exact words that they used, but they just come off poorly to each other in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I that was probably one of the most interesting things to me about this chapter because, I mean, I don't... Yeah, they call it a meta-emotion mismatch is the part that I underlined. But it also specifically mentions affection. Like if one grew up in a family that didn't show any affection and the other grew up in a family that showed a lot that's really hard for both people because one person doesn't, one person comes off as really cold to the other and the other person comes off as, as clingy or uh, something like that. Yeah. But I, I thought this was really interesting because everybody experiences feelings differently, you know, like there's literally no two people on this planet who are going to have a perfect meta emotion match. Right. Yeah. And so it's kind of scary that it brings us up and it's like, this is a real issue and it's going to take a lot of work. And, and if you feel things too differently, like it, it's a real red flag. Cause I, I mean, I definitely feel like Kylie and I feel things in very different ways. Like anger, for example, that you brought up, like I, I definitely feel angry in a different way or anger in a different way than she does. Like I'm pretty much your classic road rage <laughs> person and not, not that I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't think I'm terrible about it, but, but I get mad and I want to like break things and throw things sometimes. And I, <laughs> I, I control those impulses pretty dang well. I rarely end up throwing things, but like, that's how I want to react sometimes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I get and then that. Kylie's just like, Christian, stop. And it just like comes off as condescending in the moment because I'm already mad, you know? <laughs> and then on the other hand, Kylie, like she feels sadness or that things are unfair a lot of the time. And, and my reaction is just to like try to be rational about it and explain the other side. And kind of play devil's advocate in a sense, like, oh, it's not that bad, or you shouldn't feel that sad. That's like my go-to when things like that happen, which to her comes off as me, you know, defending whatever person or thing she feels has wronged her. I don't know. I feel like we have very different solutions to some of these emotions. The other thing I didn't like about the sections, it doesn't really give any solutions to this problem. Yeah. 
It's just like, if you have a meta emotion mismatch, that sucks. And it's going to take, it's going to be a problem and require a lot of work. And that's all it really says. Yep. Um, so maybe that work, maybe that work is just communication. And, and that's kind of the solution that I've come to is it just takes a lot of very clear communication about these things. And, and, uh, kind of, I think explaining your, you know, explaining what you need in those moments of anger or sadness or fear or whatever to your significant other. But I don't know. I thought that was really interesting and I would like to get more on, on what they've learned about this in their, in their lab and stuff. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, one thing that I also found really interesting and really enjoyed about the chapter was the when they talk about the marriage versus cohabitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they have not they, but there's been a lot of research done that shows that it's marriage and not living together that gives men the health benefits and the longevity benefits in their lives. Mm -hmm. And then they say that, uh, you know, a lot of people say it's just a piece of paper, but that's not what the data shows. The data shows that there are real benefits when, when it comes to marriage. And they mentioned that it, they mentioned that it might not be actual piece of paper, but it might be that the people who choose to to marry are just they're just different as opposed to those who choose to cohabitate. They talked about how you can usually tell by looking at a person in high school whether or not they will marry or cohabitate. You can look at their grades, their their alcohol use, if they're promiscuous. Apparently, they're more willing to dr- uh, drive while drunk. They cause more trouble, and these are these are the people who choose to cohabitate instead of marry a lot of the time. I don't know. What did you? What were your thoughts and feelings on that section? Yeah, I I forgot about that stuff, but that is that is interesting. Uh, one thing that came to my mind. I don't remember if it was in this book or if I learned this somewhere else, but I remember hearing this statistic. And I I know I I was just talking about the three stages and how you shouldn't decide to make a commitment while in the first stage. But I heard the statistic that people who get married before they move in together are much more likely to stay together, which is obviously better for, for example, if you have any children, there are plenty of data out there that proves that children who grow up in a home with two parents are way better off and all that. Anyway, the reason for it was that people who cohabitate and who claim, like you said, that marriage is just a piece of paper, it's basically the lack of commitment. So they might move in together and, uh, and be committed to an extent, but the lack of desire 
to just actually get married basically means they're just keeping their options open, you know, keeping an escape route or something like that. And it's, it's that type of person who, even when they do get married, I'm not explaining this very well, but it's like, it's kind of that mindset that makes marriage mean less. Cause even if they get married at some point, the fact that they were uncommitted for so long, despite knowing a person really well and even living with them, they're just going to be much less willing to stick through the difficult times and work through issues when they arise. Yeah. Which I, th- which I thought was interesting. Cause I feel like common sense would say if you cohabitate for five years and then get married, it's like at that point you really do know the person really well. And and you're le- less likely to get divorced. I feel like that's what common sense would, would say, right? But it's actually the opposite. And I think it has a lot to do with this section and, and the mindset that each individual has about marriage and commitment. Yeah. Well, I mean, so they talk about a study that was done, I believe, in Sweden, where they looked at a bunch of cohabitators. And they... They expected to find that after a certain amount of time or as time went by that these cohabitators would look more and more like a married couple on paper. Like they'd be, you know, financially helping each other out and and financial rough times. They'd be committed to each other. They'd be, uh, they'd have sexual fidelity. (laughs) I don't I don't know if I said that right, but uh, they and yeah, that's what that's what they expected. But but they found that as time went on, they looked less and less like a married couple. There's less sexual fidelity. Hmm. They didn't help each other out financially, and if someone better came along, they were you know more likely to leave and hop on that train. And I found that interesting, and I think it is what you said, you know. It's it's not really the piece of paper. It's the fact that you're committed enough to that person to say it with a piece of paper in mm-hmm. a timely manner without having, you know. Because if you're already living together, why would you? I mean, at that point, I see very little point in getting married. But with if you're not, you get all these benefits, and you're you're definitely committed to each other, which I I think is right, and I think was a good point that John and Julie brought up. Uh, one thing that I did not expect was the fact that for men, when you're picking a partner, your partner's education level does matter and you can get more health benefits if you're if the lady that you choose is more educated yeah what did you think about that that is pretty interesting i mean i think it's true in my case because kylie's a nurse (laughs) yeah so uh, she kind of forces me to take care of myself and 
and get the flu shot and stuff, uh, which I'd never done before. <laughs> stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that is interesting that education levels have an impact on health at that point. And maybe it's just to do with, you know, more financial stability that comes with education and that leads to eating healthier food. I think that's also been proven that, you know, if you're financially better off, you're less likely to go to McDonald's for every meal and stuff like that because you can afford to buy healthier food. I don't know. Maybe don't quote me on that, but yeah, that's, that's definitely an interesting connection there. Well, they also talked about how women are way more likely to to make men healthier inside a relationship than men making women healthy because typically a single woman will leave a pretty he- lead a pretty healthy life anyway whereas single men fall into these patterns and behaviors of unhealthiness such as eating McDonald's you know six times a day or not six times a day six times a week uh-huh. which I was at you know at, at least four or five times a week at one point <laughs> just out of convenience yeah. so. I found that very interesting. And the last thing that John Julie talked about is the definition of commitment, which is wanting a relationship to last and doing what it takes to make a relationship last. Commitment is pretty important. There's a lot of health benefits for men, at least, when they decide to commit. Uh, You can't force commitment, which is something that they talk about the very start, which I feel like a lot of people try to do that. I don't know. What do you think? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, no, that makes sense. And, and that kind of reminds me going back to the marriage thing of, that makes sense why marriage is so important and it makes sense why it really is. It's more of a mindset that you need to be in, you know, that's proven by, by the piece of paper issued by the government. Right. And, and we could get into the religious side of things. You and I obviously believe marriage is is much more important than that. But I think another reason it's so important is because it, it does, It, it proves your commitment and it, it, like you're promising to stick with this person forever, right? Forever. Forever. <laughs> so when these issues arise, such as financial difficulties or when your wife or your spouse is being really annoying or being super unreasonable about something, it's like you're not you're not allowed to walk away because you've made a commitment forever, right? And... I mean, I, I think there are, I guess, probably some issues or some, some, you know, some things that a, a spouse could do so wrong that would, that divorce could be the better decision. But like outside of those really crazy extreme things, like you've committed to someone and you're, you're in a companionship and you have to work out those problems in that companionship, in that relationship, you know? And I think that's a huge difference between marriage and and cohabitation. 
is because you've you've committed to work through those things and you no longer have the option of just walking away when things get difficult or or if you're unhappy for a short period of time you know it's like you no longer have that escape route and that forces you to work through things and i think that's what makes that's what can make a marriage much stronger is is when you have to communicate on such a level that you're working through actually you know really difficult things yeah and i think that's that's really key in in a true commitment and that's the mindset that that one needs to have when they you know when they make a decision as big as as marrying somebody yeah uh i'd like to end with the last two paragraphs of the book so i'll read them and if we have anything to say after we'll you know, the whole discuss, book but... no sorry of the la- of this chapter <laughs> all right i figured all right back in <laughs> so um This is the hero's journey when he makes a commitment. The zero's journey is to always say, maybe there's something better out there. Why should I commit? If you found the one, cherish her, attune to her, make love to her, commit to her, and be there for her. Uh, You'll be absolutely amazed at how wonderful life can be. For For us, this knowledge is personal. We've been on our journey for decades, and life has surpassed our wildest dreams. Uh, I think that paragraph sums it up pretty well. When you find her, cherish her, and commit to her. And life will be better than than you may have thought, you know? Mm-hmm. Well said. So, uh... All right. <laughs> Garrett, what, what stage are you in right now, you know? Is is she the one? What's What's going on there? Oh gosh, I don't know. Somewhere between one and two, I guess. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right. <laughs> you don't hey. want to talk about it. <laughs> Not I on here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't even know why we're doing this podcast then. But okay. Wow! Wow! That's, okay. That's what. That's what the people want to hear. You know. Ah, uh, she's great. Just tell Michaela, She's awesome. just, just tell her not to listen to the this episode, you know, and I'm sure. <laughs> uh, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I would say we're we're probably breaching into stage two. All right. All right. I'm not gonna press for any more details, but <laughs> yeah. Good Although to know. I will say, I with Michaela, she's she's great, and I don't really see any red flags really that's good news yeah i mean we're definitely different we're different people uh Mm -hmm. we think differently but the way we talk about things is is really nice we you know sit down and have real conversations yeah i'd say getting into stage two Nice. Getting into stage two. All right. You know, maybe somewhere between one and two. I don't know. I don't know where she's at either, so I haven't talked to her about it. So, uh, all right. Hopefully this isn't super awkward if she listens to it.
Well, you better have that conversation <laughs> <No>. <laughs> before you edit this. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you can wait three weeks to edit this. Cause, no, uh, I, I'm going to edit it tonight. <laughs> okay, cool. All, All right. right. Uh, thanks for coming, everybody. Hopefully you learned something. Hopefully. Bye-bye.